0: Baby Shark, is the first on YouTube to cross the 10 billion views mark. 10 billion. We are living in what the World Health Organization terms an infodemic. Information is everywhere, and how much can one person absorb? 10 billion billion views. I'm not good with math, some of you know, so I tried to put this in perspective. Estimates are that since the beginning of the printing press, there have been five billion Bibles printed. Again, ten billion is a lot of views and counting. I should also mention that Baby Shark has other uses. For example, the New Zealand government is playing baby shark over loudspeakers to drive the truckers out of the capital. (laughs) What I want to consider today is the implications of not only an explosion of information, but also the increasing intrusion of data into our lives as advertisers hone their skills on hooking us. It's difficult to get your mind around this, but there are 300 hours of videos posted on YouTube every minute of every day. That's 12 and a half days of 24 hour viewing uploaded every minute. So no, you will not be watching everything on YouTube. It is just not humanly possible. Before the pandemic, we were experiencing an accelerating rise in the amount of information available already. Then the pandemic and even more information and more misinformation, and this combined with the social isolation has led to that thing the World Health Organization calls an infodemic. The WHO defines it this way, quote, too much information, including false or misleading information in digital and physical environments during a disease outbreak. It causes confusion and risk-taking behaviors that can harm health. It also leads to mistrust in health authorities and undermines the public health response, end quote. And yep, the WHO, uh, I think, has an accurate diagnosis for that problem. And yes, you can take an online course from the WHO on how to fight the infodemic. <laughs> now, the term infodemic is a portmanteau word. It conflates information and in epidemic. The term infodemic is not without its critics who claim that imagining our situation as a disease actually makes it a lot simpler than the societal forces are that are doing all of this to us and with us. Another example of the issue are two books published by the consultant Nir Eyal, and they were both bestsellers. Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and another bestseller, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Now, if that's not finding a problem and then finding a solution for it, I don't know what is. That's good marketing. This book does contain some wisdom that I want to kind of put before our minds today. The cure for boredom is curiosity. There is no cure for curiosity, he writes. 79%, now don't feel accused here, just think about it. 79% of smartphone owners check their device within 15 minutes of getting up in the morning. Dissatisfaction and discomfort dominate our brain's default state, but we can use them to motivate us instead of defeat us. That's what I'm going to be trying to be talking about today. And I guess my favorite of his quotes, if it can't be used for evil, it's not a superpower. I got curious about all this data that I'm always reading about, so I looked up some stats. Again, apologies. I don't understand mathematics very well, but I did look up an interesting collection by Jacqueline Bulo, uh, who wrote an article titled "How Much Data Is Created Every Day in 2022," and that's on a, a an online magazine called TechJury.net. And also learned some new terms. All right, we all know about bytes. We know about kilobytes. We know about megabytes. We know about gigabytes, we know about terabytes, which are 1,024 gigabytes, and new terms for me anyway, petabytes, who knew, exabytes, who knew, zettabytes, and I guess the top at the moment, yodabytes, (laughs) which equals 1,204 zettabytes, Uh, and no, I don't understand that. By the end of this year, there will be 44 zettabytes of information digitalized on the planet. On an average day on Earth, human beings produce 2.5 quintillion bytes of information. A quintillion, by the way, is a one with 18 zeros after it. Yes, are you wondering why you're tired all the time? If you're trying to keep up, you're not making it, right? By 2025, that daily amount of information produced will be 463 exabytes, which is a billion billion bytes. Yes, it gives me a headache. But also, by the way, human beings now produce only 60% of the data. Data produces the other 40% of the data. And one last stat. The majority of the data in existence on our planet has been generated in the last two years. Hmm, yeah, so we're a little past Shakespeare on this at this point. Do I understand what all this means? Well, heck no, I don't. When I start thinking about information overload and the 24-hour news cycle, one thing that pops into my mind is don't shoot the messenger. Media is just a medium. It's the thing that exists between the events and the data from those events, and then you and me. The philosopher and historian Plutarch, who was writing in the first century of the Common Era, relates the story of Tigranes the Great. Tigranes the Great was king of what is now Armenia. A messenger rushed into the court of Tigranes, telling of an invasion by the Roman legions. Tigranes was so upset by the news that he had the messenger beheaded. After which, as you might expect, the news reaching Tigranes improved considerably. And as a matter of fact, he was only getting good news, which did not reflect the facts on the ground, shall we say. Don't kill the messenger if you want the truth. However, in the United States, news is big business. You know, yeah, we got NPR. uh, Yeah, but the local paper and the 24-hour news networks and most media depends upon advertising, which means money, and it means the consumers will sometimes, or maybe a lot of the time, act like Tigranes and say, I only want good news. After all, Don't we have to behead our unwanted messengers just by turning the dial? And then we get a totally different kind of news. Data, media, echo chambers, bias, all those hooks that the marketers are figuring out. Yes, it can make you feel like plugging up your ears, closing your eyes, and going, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, I remember the old formula that we humanists love, the truth shall set you free. And yeah, nobody ever said that uh, freedom was easy. As a matter of fact, the French philosopher Jean-Luc Nancy says what this world needs is truth, not consolation. And I often think that's the case. We need to know what's actually happening. I titled my talk today Signal to Noise the signal-to-noise ratio is a real thing in science and engineering, referring to meaningful input rather than meaningless and unwanted noise. That concept is part of what we know as information theory. It's a thing nowadays to talk about bandwidth, as in, I just don't have the bandwidth to do that. Well, that's a metaphor, and it refers to that frequency or that band on which information is transmitted. All those terms are part of information theory. Now, when I became a disc jockey back in the 1970s, we were required to have an engineer's license from the Federal Communications Commission. You don't have to do that nowadays. Right? But in the earlier days of radio and television, transmitters could drift way off their ascribed frequencies. their band with. And of course, that is how you block radio signals if you want to be the CIA or something. If, for example, your radio station is 101.5, that's where you've gotta be in terms of your frequency. You don't get to drift to 101.7 because when your audience is looking for you, they can't find you. In the analog age that I grew up in, This was considerably more difficult than it is in the digital age now. Nowadays, radio stations have digital numbers and you touch a screen. Before that, some of you remember that radio dials used to have clicks. You would click when you changed radio station. And some of you who are even older than that remember the the days when you had the tuner that was totally free moving because in those days, Those bands floated around quite a bit and you had to do some fine tuning. Anyway, engineering a radio frequency required learning the basics of information theory, which unsurprisingly is mostly mathematical formulas and also unsurprisingly it became a thing in the early 20th century when radio became wireless. One of the central ideas of information theory is how to get the signal, all right, the meaningful information to exceed the noise. The obvious way of doing that is to make the signal stronger, right? Well, that's not always simple. What about signals to the moon or to Mars or to all of those satellites that just keep going around up there? Sometimes you just can't get a strong signal to where you want it to go. So what do you do? The answer is sending redundant signals. You send a whole bunch of weak signals instead of one strong one, and then when the signals reach their destination, you put them back together, and they become a strong signal and overcome the noise. That's the concept of information theory. As with the metaphor of bandwidth, signal-to-noise is a good metaphor, I think, for how we communicate and how we consume all this information nowadays. I mean, you know the example of First Unitarian Society, we have lots of redundant signals to communicate our information. We have the website, we have email newsletters, we have our listserv, social media, announcements on Sunday mornings. Redundancy, right, of the signal makes the information more available and and the noise less and that's the whole idea of redundancy but the metaphor of signal to noise helps me focus concerning how i access and consume information and perhaps it'll help you to think about this a little bit too the first order of business is always to get rid of the noise because it's useless but What's noise? When it comes to making data into information, one person's signal is another person's noise. And then therein lies a hurdle. What's signal and what's noise? CNN, signal or noise? Fox News, signal or noise? MSNBC, NPR, The New York Times, The Star Tribune, The Guardian, QAnon, what is signal and what is noise? And how we personally decide what is signal and what is noise creates the information echo chamber that becomes part of the problem. I'm picking only this information, that's noise, and suddenly I only know a certain piece of the whole picture that has accelerated again during the pandemic. There are huge demographic groups involved, there's big money involved, and so advertisers are paying to be part of particular signals. That's what worries organizations like the World Health Organization because the infodemic has led to findings like this recent one from the Pew Research Center. Quote, overall 29% of US adults say they have a great deal of confidence in medical scientists to act in the best interests of the public, which is down from 40% back in November of 2020. So only 29% of Americans now trust the medical establishment. As all of us have seen, that's a real dangerous kind of drop in confidence in the very establishment that has just arguably pulled off one of the great miracles of human history, figuring out how to do vaccines and getting them to most of the people on the planet. Only 29% of us Americans believe they're doing a good job. The journalist uh, Johan Hari recently published an article in The Guardian, which is one of my trusted signals, being a leftist uh, who likes uh, uh, the British Isles quite a bit. And the uh, title is, Your Attention Didn't Collapse, It Was Stolen. And he writes this, quote, Professor Earl Miller, a neuroscientist in Massachusetts Institute of Technology explained, quote, your brain can only produce one or two thoughts. In your conscious mind, that's it. We're very, very single-minded. We have very limited cognitive capacity, but we have fallen for an enormous delusion The average teenager now believes they can follow six forms of media at the same time. When neuroscientists studied this, they found that when people believe they are doing several things at once, they're actually juggling. They're switching back and forth. They don't notice the switching because their brain, sort of, says the doctor, papers it over to give a seamless experience of consciousness. But what they're actually doing is switching and reconfiguring their brain, moment to moment, task to task, and that has a cognitive cost." End quote. So yes, your attention and focus have been hijacked. We all get hooked, and they know how to do it. But curiously enough, it appears to have long been so, and we've had a lot of thinkers through human history who have thought about this. After all, as Professor Miller points out, your brain can only produce one or two thoughts at a time. We have very limited cognitive capacity. We're not expertly absorbing all that information that's flying our way. We are merely confused and stunned by it and think we understand, perhaps. Human beings have been roughly the same for millennia. It doesn't take watching six streaming services at once to overload your brain. All you gotta do is be driving down the road, listening to the radio, and hit a patch of ice. That's three pieces of information and your brain can't handle it. We've always been the same. The ancient Roman philosopher Epictetus knew what it meant to be overwhelmed with information and he sent this advice down through the years. Quote, Caretake this moment. Immerse yourself in its particulars. Respond to this person, this challenge, this deed. Quit the evasions. Stop giving yourself needless trouble. It's time to really live, to fully inhabit the situation you happen to be in Now, you are not some disinterested bystander. Participate, exert yourself. Now, I hear you saying it, because this is what I say all the time, but wait, I care about the planet and all of its people. I just can't stop doom scrolling. I can't stop watching this. I wanna be a participant in what is happening on the planet. Epictetus is laying out a plan for surviving all of that data and hearing baby shark for the 20th time in a row. One, realize where you are, he says, which is here, now. Look around you. Study the physical space you inhabit. This is where you are. Respond to those things that you must respond to. Stop dodging what's required, but don't borrow trouble as the old saying goes, respond. Focus on being alive here and now. Stop watching and start doing what you can. Now, what truck drivers are doing in New Zealand may not be something you can physically react to or change in any manner whatsoever. In which case, Epictetus says, keep this in mind, events don't care about you, so you can't care about events. A little extreme, maybe. It's hard, I know. We've all done a lot of doom scrolling over these past 23 months. I suspect that Epictetus would ask, and how much good has all of your doom scrolling done for humanity and the planet. Oops, I failed to notice that part of it. Perhaps the people who have contributed to those 10 billion views of Baby Shark have something right, however. Maybe one good answer to all of, of the information and misinformation out theres do do is do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.